technology has enabled our society to have the capacity to be more connected than ever. So how is it as a society, we've never been more lonely. We've got the technical capability to speak with basically whoever we want, whenever we want, and buy whatever we want and have them delivered to our door. So it's not a technology access issue, but if it's not a technology access issue, then what is it? And does technology play a part in making a meaningful difference to this, the loneliness frontier, moving forward? Well, today I'm going to be speaking with my guest, Anton Kush, all about loneliness. We'll look at what it is, how big of an issue it is, what we can do about it, and get to hear more about some of the things he's working on to contribute some positive change in this important space. Collaboration starts with the conversation. Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Anton Kush, founder of Includi. Anton brings over 20 years of healthcare industry experience with a focus on digital health and technology commercialization. Hey, Anton, how are you going? I'm great, Peter. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. It'd be good to chat and find out a bit more about what you're doing and what you're solving. So let's get the ball rolling and firstly, learn a bit more about yourself, please. Tell us about you. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Happy to. So I started out in a bit of a different field. I was in airborne remote sensing, doing that across Australia and the US from about 1998. I returned to Australia after 9-11 and moved into healthcare at a drug company called Pfizer. And then after that, moved to London, working in operating rooms on abdominal laparoscopic surgery with a company that's now Medtronic. And during that experience, I was relocated to Paris and set up a global e-learning competency for surgical customers and the product specialist teams. Over time, I started working more and more in Connecticut, Massachusetts. So I went back to London and was commuting to the US from there. I looked at what was happening in hospitals in around 2010. I saw issues in nosocomal infections at Maidstone Hospital in Kent, which was one of my big bariatric hospitals. And what they started doing there to avoid bed blocking was to have patients recover in hotels to reduce these hospital-acquired infections. So I thought, why can't this be done at home instead of hotels? And the answer at that point was pretty simple. There just wasn't anyone really in the market that could execute well on remote patient monitoring. Mm. So in the company I was at, I looked at the staff that were there. I looked around and tried to find a digital health expert. And there wasn't one. We had like 50,000 people. This is 2010, mind you. Digital health wasn't really a thing back then. Health records, probably the only thing going. So I decided to do some training at UQ and attempts to become a digital health expert. So once I had looked at the market, I decided that at the time PCEHR was a little bit too political for me. It seemed to be, and it turned out to be the right move to steer away from it, I think. And so it seemed like the next thing that I could do to get people out of hospital quicker would be focusing on telehealth. That brings us to today. Fascinating. That's quite the breadth of experience across 
pharma, med tech, and then into the more digital side of things. So you've covered the breadth of stuff there. In terms of then where you're at now, what are you working on now? So at the moment, including takes up most of my time. I've also got some projects around primary care and telehealth at the moment. And so in this episode, we're talking about loneliness. Tell us a little bit more about that first. What's the breadth of this issue around the world? Yeah, good question. I guess what we should start with is a definition, right? So Oxford defines loneliness as sadness because one has no friends or company. And I think this is the start of the stigma with loneliness because clinically, I think it means something closer to the absence of deep relationships. Because we all know, even with friends and company, we can still feel lonely. So what's happening with loneliness around the world? I'll run through some stats here. I'll try not to make it too long, but it increases your risk of death by 26%. Living alone and poor social connections are as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's worse for you than obesity. It's associated with risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke. Increases your risk of high blood pressure. It's associated with early mortality. And loneliness is a risk factor for depression later in life. And it puts individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. So this is a real health issue. In 2018, Theresa May created a new serial lead for loneliness to ensure that loneliness reduction remains an enduring parliamentary policy across the UK. The challenge that I see is that the approach that they've taken in the UK is to provide a set of resources like a landing page with links to crisis hotlines. And for me, it's great that they've done it, but this sort of approach has been running since about 1950. So I think that there's an opportunity for technology. Japan have also fallen suit with the UK and recently appointed a minister for loneliness just in the last couple of weeks. So this concept is picking up momentum. I think once we get some granular resolution on loneliness cohorts, then less people will be erroneously moved into mental health treatment pathways. I think that we can catch people before and deal with them in a different way what we're currently working with. Someone who's thinking about loneliness and listening to this, we've covered on the show previously, I guess other topics within the mental health sphere like anxiety and depression and everything. And we've talked in the past about the importance of kind of defining so that we can properly address things. Appointing a minister of loneliness quite specifically, it almost is very specific, but is it a super broad topic that covers a lot of issues like anxiety and depression, everything like, so if we address loneliness, we address many issues, or is it just one factor of many things that need to be addressed? I think loneliness, the evidence is showing that it brings out these traits in people. And so while we've heard certain experiences or drugs could in fact bring out schizophrenia, for example, that could be triggered by loneliness as well. So it's an unnatural say for humans to have a weak or no deep relationships. We're just not wired that way. As far as a minister goes, what that is really there to convey is that it is an enduring, important concept that parliament needs to address. And by having someone responsible for that, it stays on the map. Yeah. 
That's important. And then looking to Australia, looking into our own backyard, what does loneliness look like in Australia? Typically the same as other places in the world. There's a group called Loneliness Australia and they cite an estimated number of adults in Australia experiencing high levels of loneliness to be around 2.9 million people. And we see that roughly 10%, bit over 10% of the population at any time are experiencing high levels of loneliness. In 2018, there was some research done for Psychology Week, and they had some interesting questions they asked around their research. One of them was, and this helps to find loneliness further, how do you feel or how often do you feel that people around you are not with you? Or how often do you feel left out? And how often do you feel that relationships with others aren't meaningful? And they even had one where they asked, do you ever find yourself in a situation that people just don't get? And I see that with a small amount of work to be done on these individuals, we can make a big difference in their quality of life. So then thinking about that over time, it doesn't feel like things are getting better. I don't have stats in front of me, but particularly also throwing in our pandemic where many people are forced into situations of social isolation, it sounds like we're still missing a fair bit when it comes to improving and curving that trend of, of loneliness. Yeah, look, I think the government has done what they could with the tools available. And at the moment, the only tools available are really a random person being connected to a random call center person. And with essentially anonymity, and an inability to build on thing there. So at the moment, the loneliness services more resemble a lifeline crisis service more than an actual way to move people out of loneliness. It might address some acute cases, but we're treading water at best. You're working on Includy then. Like, how is that different to what's going on now? We know that loneliness is the absence of deep relationships. It's not the absence of a crowd or friends because we know we can feel lonely in these situations quite frequently. I think some of the current loneliness services have room to improve on branding, lexicon they use, and the technology. Also, there are providers out there that are delivering welfare calls that think HCARE and DIS, and they're really interested in a new platform that creates services to address loneliness. So the research that I'm shared with you shows that they want to do more, but there's nothing available. And more providers would address loneliness if it didn't mean adding more staff. So when we carried out our latest survey, two thirds of the people responding felt that participants could be connected to a small group rather than one individual phone chat. By this, I don't mean group chats, but two or more people that can be assigned to a participant. So there's always someone from the group that they can book some time with. So next, we need to do away with the notion of random people contacting random people. This doesn't address loneliness in a way that leads to self-management. It's more like the crisis line model. So an algorithm, matching algorithm is at the core of Include to ensure that we get comparable people working together. And lastly, I think that government is looking to move our healthcare to as much self-management as possible. There are some cohorts that will respond to coaching. 
counseling on how to reduce social anxiety and help them set social goals, how to start a conversation, how to be a better friend, or how to develop a hobby and be a more interesting person. So for those who want to put in a little bit of work, including can make a big difference in their quality of life. We see that there are opportunities for people to get themselves out of the mindset of experiencing loneliness, but there is in some cases some work that they can do. And it's very difficult for the average person to watch a YouTube video and solve all their problems or read something and solve all their problems. They need to be coached with a professional and we'll be tapping into this brand new concept around an allied health marketplace. What is Includy exactly and how is it different? Includy is the online marketplace addressing loneliness. Includy works with people experiencing acute and chronic loneliness. It's different because it uses technology to do the heavy lifting that we encounter when addressing loneliness at an industrial scale. No one else is doing what Includy does. Includy is delivered in phase one through aged care, NDIS and DVA providers initially. And in phase two, we'll be looking at uh, a different funding model, potentially preventative health that could be useful for addressing other cohorts, such as youth that are unknowingly disaffected by TikTok and Instagram, for example. Including also leverages new work patterns for independent allied health workers. A newfound openness to technology that COVID-19 has delivered in cohorts who are experiencing loneliness and the efficacy of marketplace platforms and moving participants in the self-management and co-design. So the including journey for a participant looks something like this. The NDIS or aged care provider will identify potential candidates for including and promote the service to them. The participant will be signed up to the platform where they'll share some of their hobbies and interests and help us start the matching process with all of our allied health workers, counsellors and volunteers. Each participant will create their group from their matches and the first interaction will take place when we start to assess the pathway that each of these individuals should be placed on. So over time, some magic happens with regular touch points going through education, upskilling and for some, a graduation may come in the form of attending a real-life meetup group and doing well in that environment. They mean that they can better understand their thought patterns for others, develop an interest that other people will find interesting and will also serve for a common ground they can create for the future. For the people that are in the cohorts that are more difficult to coach, we'll be focusing more on managing their thought patterns and maybe getting one or two deep relationships they didn't have previously. But for other groups, say for example, people that are completely able to get up and about and help themselves to some degree, those people, we might just need to work on their depression and social anxiety and give them tools to perform better when they are in public, making new friends or forming new relationships. At what stage is included at now? We're at the research co-design and MVP stage. We understand what the market needs at the moment and what they're willing to pay for. So we're really focusing on market fit. And uh, this calendar year would be ideal timing to get out a 200 
person demonstrator where we can start to pull in some feedback before we go for a hard launch early 2022 calorie. Cool. And what about funding? How is Includy funded? Yeah, interesting topic. So I've been looking around and observing through my years at the pros and cons of investors and the amount of time they can take out of your calendar. And I'm thinking initially I'll uh, self-fund to the point where we've proven the model and created the value. And then when it comes to scaling, we'll look at an investor at that point. That's what the investors like too, right? The bootstrap to the point where you can't bootstrap anymore and you've got something to demonstrate and then scale it from there. It's much better to demonstrate it with something and then build it from there. Yeah, it's a lot easier to get money when you've got it near it, I've found. Um, yeah. And so if you can get out there and demonstrate it, show that people can't live without it, then that's when you start to get better terms on the investment side of things. Makes a lot of sense. And what about in the future? So what should we expect to see from Anton and Includi over the next 6, 12, 24 months? A lot of interesting things, no doubt. So the horizon for people who are benefiting from Includi is a brighter one than what they have today overall. Improved quality of life. So that's what the people that are using Includi should experience. From the health system, I think we will have better allocation of resources, less direct impact from addressable issues such as loneliness. And I see this being a model that can work out quite easily for other conditions that people find themselves in as well. So for providers, the NDIS and aged care providers, we're creating a new revenue stream, a contemporary product offering, a service offering that will help them differentiate a very crowded market. So you only think the ones that get in earlier will have the jump on the others just because they'll have the experience and get up and running and actually start to create value and see some miserable results in their cohorts. And for the families of those people that are experiencing loneliness, that family should have a hope for a better future and maybe even a deeper relationship with that person. So the minute the Mirror and Bible products with a demonstrator of 200 participants should be in the next six months. Within 12 months, we'll have investment and a bit of rejigging on the platform. And within 24 months, depending on how investments looking at that point, we might have a look at export because the UK needs this, Japan needs this, pretty much any other country that's out there in lockdown probably would have an interest in Includy. But I hasten to add, Includy was on the drawing board long before COVID came along. So it's just a, it's an unfortunate situation we find ourselves in. And had I known COVID was coming, I would probably would have started things a year ago. So it's going to be needed, you know, now more than ever. So, um, yeah, good luck with building that out and getting it out to the masses. So we'll put the details of including in the show notes of this episode so people can check it out and get in touch if they want to learn more and come along with the journey. But look, Anton, I really appreciate you making the time, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.